so this past week, a lot of people, when they saw me, they'd approach and they'd ask, so how is Tim doing? And are you preaching on Sunday? And I would generally respond with, well, he's doing a little bit better, but he's still pretty laid up. Uh, And yes, I'm preaching for him on Sunday. To which they would respond, man, we're praying for him. (laughs) I'm not sure how to take that. I I sure hope that that means that you are like me and you loved him and you're desiring to see him uh, restored uh, and made whole. Uh, But part of me, in the back of my mind, I just have to wonder a little bit, and and I guess I can't say that uh, I blame you. But honestly, it's it's always a joy and a privilege when we can feast upon God's word together. Amen? And uh, if you are here this morning and you are not normally someone who attends our Sunday evening services, I would encourage you to think about coming uh, tonight as well. Uh, Marcus Lehman's going to be with us tonight, and he's going to be sharing with us how we got our Bible. And that's, that's an important question that a lot of Christians uh, wonder about, and maybe you are, are really skilled and adept at uh, thinking through that and explaining that to somebody, uh, but maybe you're a little intimidated by that and you're not sure um, Marcus is a bright guy, and it's going to be, I think, very profitable uh, for us uh, this evening. So uh, hopefully uh, you'll join us for that this evening. I think it'll be beneficial for all of us that are here and for our church uh, body in general. So uh, this morning, however, we are uh, going to be uh, looking at the the book of Hebrews together. And uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 for our study. And Hebrews and Romans are two of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, and they're also two of the books of the Bible that are sometimes the most difficult to understand and to dive into and to interpret. Um, and, and so I don't know if that means that I'm hard-headed uh, and I like to kind of take on uh, difficult things, or if it just means there's so many foundational uh, matters of faith that are in Hebrews and Romans, um, and, and that it can be so challenging and it can be such an encouragement when you can dive into God's Word and really find uh, some of these answers to the, the deep questions that face each and every one of us uh, in our life. And, and so, so I, I hope that uh, you will be encouraged uh, this morning. But quite frankly, for a lot of cr- Christians, uh, the book of Hebrews is, is one that they don't like to... Um, to, to dive into very much, because the more you dive into it, sometimes it's, there's, there's sometimes more questions uh, than we have answers initially, and, and, you know, there's always the questions of, well, who exactly wrote Hebrews, and, and you know, wh- who, did he, who did whoever wrote it write it to? Uh, you know, that's just generally speaking, it's written to Hebrews, and most people say, okay, well, yeah, it's probably people of Hebrew or Jewish descent, but there's others that say, no, it's probably more, you know, like Galatians and maybe Romans and maybe of a more Gentile descent. And, and you know, I'm not going to dive into all of those things this morning, but I, I just kind of wanted to lay some of those questions out there for you because maybe you've not studied the book of Hebrews uh, at all. And uh, one of the things that I love in the book of Hebrews is that it, it eventually kind of helps us to work through the question of how do we approach God? How can you and I uh, approach God and have this relationship with him? And, and it provides an answer to that because ultimately Jesus is better. Uh, Thirteen times in the book of Hebrews, uh, we, we see that Jesus is better. He's better than Moses and Aaron and the angels. He's, he's a better example. He's a better shepherd. Uh, he's, he's a better mediator of a better covenant. And he's a minister to, uh, at the better tabernacle. And, and so um, Tina Turner, the great theologian, would probably say he's simply the best. Um, don't go and Google that song if you don't know it. It's really not about Jesus. Um, 
but in our but in our human nature, we always want we, we gravitate towards things that are better, towards things that are the best. So even in pop culture, there's there's all sorts of songs written about things that are not just good but but better and the best. And, and Hebrews is trying to help us to see that that Jesus is is he is better. He's better than all of those things. In fact, he is perfect. And he's described as perfect or, for, or perfection 14 different times uh, through uh, the book of Hebrews. So, so even though this book is written to a primarily Jewish audience, that's kind of where I land with that, um, and, and uh, whoever it is uh, written by, uh, it, it's trying to help us understand that, that Jesus is the Messiah, and he is the perfect completion of the law. And so that, that kind of gives us a little bit of a context to where uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 is kind of a beautiful summation uh, of the, to the audience uh, of some of those kinds of things. And, and, and it takes into account all that's been uh, in, uh, covered so far in the book of Hebrews. And we, we, we're not studying through it like we normally would. So we just get Hebrews 10 this morning. So if you can, if you have one, open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 10 with me. And if you're uh, here this morning and you don't have a Bible, it would be on page 1006 of our chair Bibles uh, found in the chair racks in front of you. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offers you have not desired. But a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Well, first point this morning is a shadow in the true form. We, we see some great illustrations all throughout the book of Hebrews, but particularly here, we see this, this concept of a shadow being uh, put forth. And see, the purpose of a symbol, like a shadow, the purpose of a symbol is to point to the greater meaning and significance of the actual object or event. You see, the Hebrews, having a better understanding of the Old Testament than the average Christian today, would have a, would have a, a good understanding of what is being referenced here. When, when, when the author is talking about the law, he, he's, talking about, he's talking about the commands of God, yes, and, and the laws that are, that are given to us. But he's also talking about the system of sacrifice that God established so that his people would be able to come before him and, and worship in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, there was an establishment of, of what God expects for us, his law and his righteous demands of his people, but also what they should do when that law is broken. 
You see, and, and the law has, has a shadow. It is, it's just a shadow. It's simply a foretaste of the things that come. It's a starting point for people to understand who God is, his character, and a nature, his nature. It, it gives us a deeper understanding of who he is, as any illustration does, but it can't be a perfectly clear picture. You see, the understanding that it brings should bring an awareness of our sinfulness and of our brokenness and of the holiness of God and that when we stand before him, there's no way in our own merit that we can stand before a holy and righteous God because we are a broken and sinful people. And it should, it should help us to understand that we have this desperate need then to be reconciled to a right relationship with God but for that to happen, God ultimately has to intervene for us to solve our sin problem. That's, that's what some of this imagery is going to point to for us this morning. You see, when we're talking about the law, and any time you talk about God's law, people oftentimes go to, to two unhealthy extents. They either try to make the law their God, and, and by that I mean if they, they think that if they simply can obey the law and, and, and hold to the law enough, then God will be pleased with them and ultimately they will earn their eternal life. And that's not what they're supposed to do. But, but verse 1 tells us that it is a shadow of the thing to come because, because otherwise, if you, if you run to the other extreme, you think that the law is completely unimportant and it has no merit or value because I don't need to uphold the law to have a relationship with God so I can completely ignore the, the law. And neither one of those are what God would have us. God gave us the law to be the thing that would point us to our relationship with him, the thing that would point us to our brokenness. The, the law reveals so much about the character of God, but it also reveals so much about the character of mankind and, and how we truly uh, are lost in the sight of a holy, righteous God. And, and so, but we're supposed to be on the lookout, not just for the shadow of these things, but we're supposed to be on the lookout for the true realities of, of what the shadow of the law, what does the law point us to? And, and, and the author of Hebrews wants to make it very clear to everyone who is reading, make no mistake, the law itself cannot make you perfect. The law cannot make perfect those who draw near. Verse 1 continues, The law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. The law is not intended to, to, to be to the people something that they can try to uphold to make themselves perfect and eventually earn their way to God. One commentator actually says that uh, this of the shadow. He says, a shadow can never claim to be a complete revelation of its object. At best, it can only give the barest outline of the reality. The law gives us the barest outline of the reality of who God is in our relationship to a holy and righteous God. So, but what is that shadow for? Well, we, we learn in our text that a shadow is a constant reminder. Everywhere you go, every time you walk into the light, your shadow goes with you. It, it is always there. It is, it is part of when we are out and about in the light. But it is not you. This, the shadow of this pulpit here is not the same as the pulpit itself. And, and so it is with a shadow. Verse 2 tells us that otherwise they would not have ceased 
Otherwise, they would, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder for sins every year. The fact that they had to continually offer sacrifices should show them that not only are they broken and sinful before this holy God, but that the sacrifices are not sufficient enough to completely deal, deal uh, away with the penalty for their sin. The fact that God had commanded them to come before him repeatedly and continue to offer sin, sac- sacrifices for their sins should demonstrate to them that they are desperately in need of a solution that is permanent, that will last forever, that is e- eternal. Because what they have now just is a, is a constant reminder. It's a thorn to them of, of their brokenness. It's a sliver in their finger. Then every time they would touch something, they're reminded of their brokenness and their need of a true Messiah and Savior. Verse 2 tells us that there's this consciousness of sin that, that, that speaks to the fact that we all know sin. God has written the law on our hearts, and, and we're all aware of our own brokenness and sinfulness. But we also know that, that because of that, that it, we're trying to deal with sin, that if our sin were actually dealt with, then there's no more reason for that to be dealt with. We wouldn't have to continually offer sacrifices if the sacrifice that was being made was sufficient to deal with all of our sin. And and that is at the heart of what this passage of Scripture is trying to challenge us to think about, that that God established this system that would point to him, but it wasn't the solution. The law itself was not the solution. And, And ultimately, we all need reminders, and God's law is a reminder for each and every one of us. In fact, in the book of James, the, the, the law of the Lord is, is referred to like a mirror. In James 1, verses 23 and 24, we read this. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was look like, what he looks like. And, and, and this continues to go on. That's talking about those of us who are in Christ. We, uh, we need to walk in a way uh, that is pleasing to the Lord. But it, it, it gives us this illustration of, of the law being like a mirror. And I look at it and I truly see who I am. And when I do that, it's a reminder of my brokenness and my need for Christ, my need for a Savior, for these Jewish people, their need for the real, ultimate Messiah. See, the law, it is not something that tries to help us earn our way to God. It's something that demonstrates for us that there is no way in our human strength that we can possibly reach God on our own. To truly find forgiveness, we need a more sufficient sacrifice, a better sacrifice, and one that can deal with our sin once and for all. And so our next point this morning is that we're going to look at is the better sacrifice. And ultimately, the better sacrifice was provided by God himself. Verse 4 tells us, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That, that seems like a very strange commentary when, when we think about the fact that God established this system of sacrifice to atone for their sins. But, but we need to understand that that's what he, this passage in Hebrews is talking about. The reason why we need a better sacrifice is that that system was not intended to truly take away their sins. The, bull, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away 
sins. So, so then we need to ask, and, and probably the first time the Hebrew readers were hearing this or reading it, they were thinking to themselves, well, then what is this sacrifice? By this point in chapter 10, most of them would have hopefully understood that, but there were probably many in the culture that still didn't ultimately understand. And verse 5 starts with the word consequently. Because we're looking for a better sacrifice, because we're looking for a more perfect sacrifice, because we're looking for a sacrifice that, that could be once and for all and not have to be repeated over and over and over again, this, that interjection consequently says, ultimately, but God. That's what you're looking for, but God did not leave you in that state. He did what was necessary to accomplish your salvation. He had a better plan. He had a better sacrifice. And that sacrifice is Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 3, verse 18, we read this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Why is it better? Christ's sacrifice is better because it is complete. He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, that it might be the final step in our uh, reconciliation to a holy and righteous God. When Jesus was, was on the cross of Calvary, he uttered the words, it is finished, because he had completed what was required of him to live a holy and righteous life set apart to the will of God obedient to the will of God, and died that sacrificial death, not for himself, but for you and for me. Romans 6, 9, and 10 tells us this. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. By his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection, demonstrating that he has power over death in the grave, he'll never die again, and death has no dominion over him, and yet his sacrifice was perfect and complete and accomplished the salvation of all who would believe in him. And it's better because we're actually cleansed. No more sacrifice is required. No more sacrifice is necessary. No more blood of goats or bulls or lambs are required. We have been cleansed from all unrighteousness. And the better sacrifice was ultimately planned for and willingly offered by God himself. You see, the lambs that were led to the slaughter in, in the sacrifice, they didn't willingly come. They had to be led. They had to be raised and, and grown. But verse 7 tells us this. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus was obedient to God the Father's will. He willingly came so that he could live a perfect life and die on that cross for us. Jesus wasn't a sacrifice that had to be bound or carried to the cross. He walked to the road of Road, he walked the road to Calvary. He carried his cross to the place where he would be crucified. He willingly shed his blood for us. The second verse of the hymn, The Old Rugged Cross, says, Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it, to dark Calvary. The, the cross, which, which is a symbol of death, 
is a beautiful thing to us when we know Jesus Christ as our Savior because it is the thing that Jesus carried on the cross and was crucified on to accomplish this better sacrifice, this once-for-all perfect sacrifice that would be an end to all necessary requirements of sacrifice. And when we sing songs like that, it should remind us to be amazed once again just how precious it is that, that Jesus Christ himself would sacrifice himself for me and for you. And all of this was according to the plan of God. We've been studying Ephesians together for a while, but a long time ago, I intended to look up when we were in Ephesians chapter 1, um, but I, I, did, I didn't ever get around to that this last week. It was a long time ago, I can tell you that. But in Ephesians 1 verses 3 and 4, we studied this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, that we might be completely cleansed. Before the foundations of the world, God the Father and God the Son had the, had the plan to send Jesus and to call you and to choose you before the foundations of the earth. You were called and chosen in him. Jesus didn't have to be dragged to the cross. He willingly went and sacrificed himself to us. He is the better sacrifice. And he's the better sacrifice because the better sacrifice establishes the new covenant. In verses 8 and 9, we have a, a beautiful summation of the author's argument up to this point. We read, when he, said, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. That verb translated there, done away with, can, can be translated as cancels or set aside or takes away in other translations. But, but generally, it has this connotation of, of killing or death involved with it. So there's this beautiful word picture that, that in Christ's death, he has put to death the requirements of the law. In Christ's death, he has put to death the requirements of the first covenant in order to establish the second covenant. Romans 8, in verses 3 and 4, says it this way, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jesus put to death in his flesh all sin. He condemned it in his flesh so that you and I can walk according to his spirit and in the freedom that that spirit provides for us. Now as a speaker or a writer, sometimes I think it's, it's a good thing to make sure that people are tracking with you. And, and because we're not Hebrews and because we're not Jewish, I want to make sure that, that sometimes I think it's easy for us to talk about some of these kinds of things and, and to forget that, that there may be people here today who, who all of this is, is new for them. 
And so I want us to spend a little bit of time as we're talking about Jesus being this perfect sacrifice and and what that meant by the the, the sacrificial uh, system established by the Lord. And, And I want to take some time to trace that shadow through the Scriptures. I want to trace the shadow to the Scriptures, through the Scriptures. I don't want you to be here this morning and to take my word for it that Jesus is the better sacrifice, that he is the more perfect sacrifice, that he is the fulfillment of the law that was established. I want to make sure that you can see it for yourselves and that you can leave this place this morning and when somebody asks you why Jesus had to die, you'll be able to tell them what the Bible has to say about that as you can trace it yourself through the scriptures. Now, granted, there are countless verses that we could turn to. There are so many that we could go to to help us to understand that. And so I've chosen a few that I want us to look at. And my prayer is, is that the ones that I've selected will be beneficial for us so that, that we can see this pattern and see this, this, this imagery all throughout Scripture, to see the shadow as it, as it traces through the Scripture. But there certainly are others that you could use. And, and my hope is that this can be a foundational concept for you that when you're reading God's word, then you'll, you'll begin to see why it is that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice and why his sacrifice was required of us. And the first one is, a, the first thing I want us to look at is the fact that the penalty for sin is death. This is something very simple that, that we teach our kids from their, their youngest age of development. But it is so foundational to us understanding why Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. From the Garden of Eden, we begin to see that death is the required penalty for sin. In Genesis 3.3, 3, we read, But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. God says, I've only given you one law to obey. And as long as you don't eat of the the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden or touch it, if you do that, you will die. And God has established that that immediately that that there is a, a, a law, a perfect righteous expectation that he has for us as his children. And that when we break that law, there will be death. And in Genesis 4, we read the account of Cain and Abel. And, 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 and some people find it peculiar that we don't ever see God giving the commandment to Cain and Abel of, of what is expected of him, of what is expected of them for a good sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice, a sacrifice that is pleasing in God's eyes. It's obvious that, that there are some standards that, that are set in place there. And, and, and again, we continue to see that shadow forming, that, that, that Abel's sacrifice was acceptable because it re- required the death of an animal. We see that the sacrifice needed to be made for worship of a, tr- of a holy and righteous God and to atone for, for our sin would require death. It pointed continually in Genesis 4 to the fact that the, that the penalty for sin, for breaking God's command, are death. And death is required to atone for our sins. And then as we continue on through the Old Testament, uh, again, there's more passages that we could look at. But I think it's important that we, we take a moment to, to think through the Passover lamb. In Exodus chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 3 and 7 and 13 
where it says, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb. Then they, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel of the houses in which they eat. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. When God was pouring, upon, pouring out his plagues upon uh, Egypt for their sinfulness, for their rejection of who he is, for their willing, unwillingness to obey what God had called them to do through Moses. He sends this, this death angel. And, and the only way for, for the death angel to pass over your house is for you to do what God had commanded and take a lamb and sacrifice it and put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. This is, this is pointing to, once again to the, to the requirement of death for your sin and for mine. And, and, it, and it beautifully begins to illustrate for us that, that God is going to provide a true way of escape from our brokenness and from our sinfulness. And in Isaiah 53, we begin to see a little bit more fuller picture where we begin to see the suffering servant of God in Isaiah 53, in verses 7 and 10, we read, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. You see, in Isaiah 53, we begin to get this picture that, that so many people have missed throughout the history of the world, that, that there would be one, the Messiah that was coming, was going to be a lamb that would be sacrificed for the guilt offering. And, and so, so it should have been no surprise for those that were waiting for the Messiah when they heard the words, Behold, the Lamb of God. In John chapter 1 verse 29 we read this the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When John the Baptist was was proclaiming behold the lamb of God he was stating this is the Messiah this is the one that God said would come this is the lamb of God and he will take away the sins of the world he won't just clean you for a, a, a short period of time he will take them away because he is the perfect Lamb of God, the one who could fulfill the law and keep the law and die according to the law and, and make sure that he was the perfect sacrifice required. Behold the Lamb of God. That is a bold declaration by John. And it's, and it, and it's in stark contrast to the concept of, of the fact that the blood of the lamb and goats could not take away sin. John says, behold, is the, here is the one whose blood can take away our sin and can take away the guilt. We now have the Lamb of God, not just a Lamb that has been led to be sacrificed. And so, so these kinds of things, when we see this in Scripture and we, we can put together the pieces of what Christ has done for us, it should, it should cause us to then look at our own lives and say, okay, so, so, so what? So what, how does this apply to me? How, how do I uh, 
use the information of the fact that, that Jesus is the better sacrifice. He is the perfect sacrifice. And, and, and so I've put together some thoughts for us to kind of think about here as, as, as we're about to close. And I want us to understand that through the sacrifice of Christ, our sins can be forgiven and we can have an eternal relationship with our God. He can be our heavenly father instead of standing in judgment against our sin. In in the perfect lamb of God, we have the payment for our sin and the atonement for our sin so that you and I can experience the grace of God. Salvation for all people is accomplished not through our own sacrifice, but through the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. The people in the Old Testament look forward to that coming Messiah who would be the perfect Lamb of God. And you and I have the gift of being able to look back at the cross and having, having God's complete and errant word and, and demonstrating for us, helping us to put together these pieces that Jesus is who he said he is. He is the great I am who came and lived in human form and died for us to be that perfect sacrifice. And that is the, that is the gift of God. But, but we also need to understand that having once been cleansed, there would no longer be any consciousness of sin. That, that statement that's made of the old system, of the old covenant, where there was just a constant reminder of our sin, and, and their sin would constantly remind them of their need for God. When we have been cleansed by Christ, we are cleansed. Our sin is forgiven. Your sin, past, present, and future, was paid for by the death of Jesus Christ. And his resurrection from the grave demonstrated that his sacrifice was sufficient to overcome sin. And so you and I, when we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can understand that we have the power to have victory over sin in a way that we could not before because we didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling us permanently. We can have victory over sin. So if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you are here this morning and you are struggling with sin, you need to just repent of that sin and and turn back to your relationship with God. You have the power to have victory over sin because we've been cleansed from it. We, we can truly say that, that sin has no effect on us because Jesus Christ has, has demonstrated power over sin and death in the grave. Now, we all still have to deal with our, our fallen sin, sinful human nature, and we still have to deal with the fact that, that we struggle against sin every day. But if you know Christ as your Savior, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit who can help you to overcome that sin in your life, and you can have victory like we could not have outside of a relationship with Christ. And we're also free from having to constantly make sacrifices to atone for our sins. And unfortunately, there are so many Christians that still run around today saying that they believe that Jesus' sacrifice is once and for all and and there's no more sacrifices required, but they constantly live their life in a way that I talk to the teens about. We we say this, well, I do these things because I really want Jesus to love me more. When I do these things, I think Jesus is going to love me more and I have to do these things because he'll love me more. No, Jesus loved you all that he could love you when he died for you on the cross of Calvary. And out of a heart of love for him, we should desire to do good things. But we don't have to do anything. There's nothing required of us to, to be more presentable in the eyes of God, to be more loved in the eyes of God. Jesus has done everything to accomplish our salvation. 
There, there is no talent that you don't have that you're lacking. There's, there, there is no gifting that you need that you, you don't have. There's not more you could do to make Jesus love you more. He went to the cross to be the perfect final sacrifice so that you could stand before God, not in your own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ that he puts on us. This morning, we've only scratched the surface of what the Bible has to say about what it is that Jesus accomplished for us. When he became that that perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, when he was that atoning sacrifice that paid the penalty that I and you deserve. And and I, I just want you to know that if you are here this morning and you have more questions than answers because of what we've shared, that is a very natural response. The, the book of Hebrews is, is, is chapters long so that the author could continue to help nail down for these people what it was that Christ had done for them. And, and we want you to know that if you have questions, please call, email, stop by the church office. We'd love to talk with you. See me in the foyer afterwards. It's important for us to make sure that we can know and understand who Christ is and why his sacrifice is enough to guarantee that I have eternal life through faith in him. So we're going to close this morning by by singing the song that I referred to earlier, the old rugged cross. Because when we cling to the cross It is the place where the Lamb of God was sacrificed to accomplish our salvation. And I pray that you can sing that with all your heart this morning and that you can celebrate the Lord's goodness in your life. I'm going to close this in prayer and then we'll have the team come and close us in song together. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are amazed at your goodness to us that while we were yet sinners, you would send Christ to die for us. That though we deserve separation from you, you've done everything necessary to accomplish our salvation and restore us into a relationship with you through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that if there are those here this morning that have never put their faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that you would drive them to your word, help them to see their need because of their sinfulness and the fact that Jesus is the perfect Savior. Father, for those of us who do know Christ as Savior, I pray that you would remind us each and every day that it is because of your grace that we've been saved. It's not because of our own merit, but it's because you chose us before the foundations of the world. And Father, might we live according to your love and out of a desire to serve you and a desire to honor you, but not to earn your favor. You have already loved us and we thank you for that. Father, be with us now as we close in song. May you be honored as we talk about, reflect upon, and celebrate the old rugged cross upon which you accomplished our salvation. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.